Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. So thank you very much, uh, Aparna, for joining me today on the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. Thank you, Fergal, for having me here. Maybe if you can uh, tell us a little bit about Arman, um, what, what, what you do, uh, and a, maybe uh, the, the, the scope and impact of Arman today. Yeah, so thank you for having me here, Fergal. So Arman is a nonprofit that leverages technology to create cost-effective scalable solutions uh, to impact maternal and child health in India. So on the one hand, we use mobile technology to create scalable solutions to uh, allow us to um, inform women about the care to be taken during pregnancy and infancy. We do that through voice calling services, uh, uh, which are bolstered with a call center and a missed call system. And on the other hand, we have we use mHealth, that is mobile health, to train health workers throughout the country. Right. And uh, we do that so that you know uh, uh, risk factors are picked up early and treated in time, you know, before it's too late. And so that there's no overcrowding of tertiary hospitals and overall there's reduction in maternal and child mortality and morbidity. Right. And Arman currently works in um, 16 states in India. We have reached over, our programs have reached over 20 million women and their children overall, including our Mitra program and Kilkari program. And on the other hand, we have trained 170,000 health workers in 13 states in India. Wow, that's a, a considerable impact. Can you talk a little bit about the scale of the problem in terms of child and, and maternal mortality in India and, and how you uh, went about understanding what the roots of that are, I guess, which has informed your approach to helping solve some of these problems? Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, our India has one of the worst maternal and child health indices in the world. India accounts for 11% of the maternal mortality uh, in the world. Two children under age five die every minute in India. So you can understand the scale of the problems. And uh, you know, when I was doing my residency in Mumbai in OBGYN, that is obstetrics and gynecology, I'm a cur a currently a urogynecologist. You know, I saw very closely how pervasive systemic problems led to loss of life. And uh, it is very important to you know, ensure that you, we take care of the problems at, a, at scale and systemically. And if you look at systemic issues, there are three basic reasons why mothers and children die, right? These are called three delays, right? The first delay is lack of access to preventive care information. If a woman is not aware, she's not gonna take care of herself and her child. If she doesn't know what danger signs to look out for, what are the risk factors, she's not gonna take care. And that's why we have this whole program using mHealth on informing women about the care to be taken during pregnancy and infancy weekly through voice calling services. And on the other hand, if you look at the second delay, second delay is when they, when they become aware that there's a problem, they do not know where to go, you know, there are no ambulances, the roads are terrible. And on the other hand, you have the third delay, the third delay being that when they reach a hospital, you know, the health workers are not trained, doctors are not, you know, uh, trained enough, there's a shortage of staff, there's no equipment, there is no supply. So you have these three delay models. And I realized that if you want to impact lives, you have to impact these delays. So on the one hand, we have programs impacting the first delay, that is lack of access to prevent to get information. On the other hand, we have programs impacting the third delay in the sense that, uh, you know, we train health workers so that they're able to pick up problems early. There's treatment that is given early enough. There's end-to-end -end access to care so that women do not end up in a dying state. And our third delay, second delay, that is, you know, not knowing where to go is taken care of because once you, a woman become aware of the problem and, uh, you know, and health workers are trained, then there's, there's no delay. So there's no you know, emergency where, oh, I'm not aware where to go and you know, I can't get there because they're taken care of earlier. So we work at yeah, impacting systemically. You've got a very fundamental issue there in terms of the actual uh, communicating with mothers uh, to be. Uh, how did that go? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, um, uh, you know, what I realized, uh, you know, is that, you know, women, and I must say this, you know, these women, are extremely smart and that's what i've learned i hate the word charity right these are women who deserve a great you know uh, you know uh, push to their life they uh, deserve an impetus given to them they don't have access to that these are underprivileged girls who come from pockets of rural poor, you know poor india um, um, uh, they've come to urban india they are you know these are pockets of rural poor in you know urban slums um, and 
they are illegal settlements uh, they are married off to husbands they have never met before or you know, maybe only met once or twice and they are divorced from their family community back home in rural india and in urban india and you know frankly they have no one to speak to right so suddenly when somebody comes and talks to you and says oh we have this program where we're going to start sending you voice calls of course there was a lot of skepticism they couldn't believe that you know uh, something like this would help them or their families would agree right so it took some of the uh, you know the first beneficiaries right they were very brave to take on the program right they agreed to come on board and what happened is that you know once they agreed and started getting the calls suddenly there was this elder sister voice coming in you know imagine uh, you know, you're so imagine these women's lives right no one to talk to at home they go to a hospital it's very apathetic they have to wait in lines five five hours in the hot humid clinics overcrowded they treat like cattle they made you know made to run here and there uh, um, uh, and somebody shouting at them suddenly it only just gave them get one minute with the doctor right and suddenly uh, in the comfort of their own homes they are getting this voice call right in a time for the day they've chosen right and an elder sister voice in a you know very nicely talks to them about so many things uh, that are far beyond anybody ever spoke to them about right you know when these women go to the hospitals what are they told take iron take calcium you know uh, such such big picture information right and very rudely right because there's no time no one has a time to give them any information right and suddenly a voice call comes in and an elder sister talks to them about you know this week you might feel like eating mud or you know uh, the baby is the size of a cabbage inside of you or the baby is developing nails right now or you know yes you know uh, you might be worried about how to have sex during pregnancy or uh, how to then ensure that you do not get pregnant again immediately after childbirth these are things no one talk to them about right small and uh, important things that are important to them but no one cares about them and presumably then as it grows when you you've got cases where they seen the benefit yes and then and then they start getting the information they they loved it and then they start telling the other you know uh, you know women in the area that you have to enroll into this program i'm very happy to say that many of our beneficiaries and mitra have actually become the health workers for us going forward yes yes so how many health workers have you trained upon and and how have you done that yeah so we, uh, in addition to kilkadi we are in partnership with government of india to implement a program called mobile academy which is a m health based a mobile health based program to train health workers so uh, the frontline health workers to the country they are called asha workers so basically uh, we are in 13 states right now and we've reached across to 170000 health workers uh, as of now and the goal is to reach across to 1 million health workers by 2025 and the way we do it right now is that uh, it's a voice calling service that is that they can call in uh, it's four hours of content uh, it is 11 chapters four sections to each chapter and uh, there are there's a quiz at the end of each section and there's a bookmarking system she can come in and log in and log off the you know where she's taken off the last uh, the left of the last time and uh, as i uh, uh, spoke about the going forward mobile academy will go on to create more two way communication channels we are going to have multimedia approaches to training these health workers so we are going to have uh, you know whatsapp support for the health workers we are going to have remote training also we are going to use uh, you know uh, you know um, send video content or have a thin app on their phone so that you know this content can be stored right so there is you know more hand holding and more intensive training of these health workers as they go about their jobs a silly question maybe but what about the fact that it's a recorded message has there been any response to that no so you know what we do in our program is that we have a i told you we have a health worker session government hospitals who are enrolling and we have a partnership with ngo partners whose health workers we incentivize to go home to home in the slums and we have yeah. the asha workers in the villages so their program is introduced to them so they already told at the beginning of the program at the time of enrollment it's a voice call it's not a it's an automated call however they also know that they have an access to a call center and yes. the call center is filled with extremely empathetic you know women who are like them but trained to be able to counsel them right so they have they understand it's tech plus touch approach so they are aware of the fact that right yes now it's a voice call but uh, if i have any query i can call this call center Yeah, yeah. Do you have a sense of how how many go on to that direct contact? Yes, absolutely. Oh my God! During the COVID times, we've been getting almost every woman has called in to the call center, literally, and we get three hundred to four hundred calls a day out of three hundred thousand women we serve. Uh, you know, uh, live say in Mumbai. Take the example of Mumbai. 
300,000 are getting Amitra voice calls currently. Out of that, over three, you know, we get uh, 400, 500 calls daily to the call center. Right, right. Uh, I, presumably, the, the COVID is as uh, crisis has had a uh, significant impact on on the demand for your service. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, I must tell you this. You know that because we had already created these the tech platform. Also, the fact that we already had these partnerships in place with the government uh, for Kilkari and uh, for Emitra with the NGOs and the hospitals. Uh, you know, we were prepared for COVID, literally. Then COVID struck and the lockdown announced immediately overnight. You know, suddenly hospitals closed down. Right? They don't have access to care. Right? And, uh, you know, there's no public transport. And the containment zones where the under, you know, the slums, where the underprivileged live, they did not know where to go, how to access care. And pregnancy and infancy can't wait for a lockdown. If you need an ultrasound during pregnancy, you need an ultrasound immediately. If you have an emergency, like you're bleeding, you need to go to hospital immediately. But they did not know where to go. So they were getting these distress calls to a call center. So overnight, we created a virtual OPD because we already had a tech platform in place. We could repurpose it. So we created a virtual clinic manned by doctors because the queries then coming in could not be handled by only our counselors. So we had to have doctors. We had 60 doctors. So we had an antenatal clinic and a pediatric clinic. Answering calls and the clinic exists even now from the last five months. Uh, it's ongoing. Also, we started sending COVID-related information because pregnancy is a vulnerable uh, stage uh, to have COVID in. So we, in addition to our regular voice call, calls, we also added COVID information. And we kept on kind of, you know, changing the information. We uh, go back to drawing board. We have a six-week cycle. And again, we go back to drawing board and send the next series of information. So the women are kept up, you know, updated with COVID-related information. Also, I told you that we have this whole helper training program using technology and mobile help. Uh, during COVID, Government of India collaborated with us. And uh, we started sending information related to COVID to 800,000 health workers through the country. Right. Example, the government right. of India came out with a health insurance scheme. How do you tell, uh, you know, health workers? So they collaborated with us. And over, you know, like in a couple of days, we created the content and over 800,000 health workers, the frontline health workers and the doctors got information. To what extent do you provide family planning information and how, how does that fit in? It's a very big area. Just maybe touch on that. Oh, absolutely. Family planning is an integral part of, see, we deal with RMNHCHA, that is reproductive maternal and child health and, and neonatal health and adolescence, right? So uh, uh, reproductive health is a big part of, you know, any maternal health program. So for us, our voice calling services to the women directly or even the call center uh, support that we provide or even the health worker training program has a huge aspect of family planning in it. And I'll give you an example of the benefit of it. You know, I must tell you a story from the field on it, right? So in Andheri East slums, Andheri is a suburb of Mumbai, there was this wife of a Azan preacher, you know, um, she was from the Muslim community and uh, it, this is a priest, a preacher, right? Uh, who sings the Azan every morning. And, uh, you know, when she got pregnant for the first time, she did not have a mitra. And uh, she got pregnant immediately after the first child, within a couple of months, you know, because no one had told her about family planning. And she herself knew inside that something is wrong here. You know, I told you, these women are smart. They just need that impetus from us, right, to understand. Somebody tell them that what they're thinking is correct, right? But they had, she didn't have access to information or even access to, you know, uh, any friends who could inform her that, yes, she's right. She shouldn't have got pregnant so early. But that time in her second pregnancy, she got access to Amitra. She got enrolled into Amitra. And Amitra came in and it told her that, you know, uh, now that you're pregnant, ensure that, you know, the next child you have after at least three years, because you need to have spacing, because your body needs to get healthier before you have the next child. Or if you already had two children, maybe you should consider family planning. So when she heard that information, she was convinced that she was right, that, that Ms. Gibson had in, inside her of having got pregnant so early after the first child was correct. So she convinced her husband and her mother-in-law and the father-in-law to adopt, that she's going to adopt family planning. So a conservative Muslim teacher family agreed to undergo family planning just because Amitra came and told her that no, family planning is important. And you know, I must tell you this very important point here that, like I told you earlier, it's not charity. These women are smart. They know it within themselves. But, and so, but they don't have somebody to validate that knowledge that they have inside or that you know, sense of justice that they have inside. When a voice call comes in and tells them that, yes, this has to be done, you know, they can stand up. So, you know, you see these women upending family dynamics. I must say this to you that, you know, I'm going to take a minute to say this, right? So the good thing about these programs, I thought as a doctor, 
I'm giving them information, right? I'm giving them a voice, I'm sending them a voice call. So what will they, uh, what these voice calls will achieve is going to give them information that they'll have knowledge recall and behavioral change. You know, this jargon that we use, that they will adopt right behaviors. But the most important, you know, benefit of this whole program has been empowerment. What, you know, information is empowerment. You know, you inform women, they, they stand up, they append family dynamics. They stand up to patriarchal mores. And, you know, like this uh, Muslim woman who adopted family planning, there are these Hindu, Hindu women from very patriarchal societies back home in Uttar Pradesh. You know, they have to wear this uh, veil. Some women have given up wearing a veil. I have mean, instances of that in the slums. Some women send a girl child into, a, into an English medium school because they realize that, you know, if my child is educated, like I'm getting information, I'm getting educated, I know how to take care of myself. Similarly, my child should be, have access to that. So, you know, empowerment that the women undergo, right? The fact that they understand that they have to stand up for themselves, that is intergenerational. They actually go in and support their own children to do better. That's very inspiring. It's very inspiring. You've got a tremendous uh, medical background and that's, that's where you come from. Uh, yet again, you've mentioned this question of uh, uh, scalable and technology. Can you talk about why technology is important and how challenging that is to think about, to come up with solutions that use technology given the uh, infrastructure and environment in which you're working? Yeah, so technology is very important because, you know, um, you know, we realized early on that India's scale of problems is so huge that anything we design has to be designed for scale from day one. Right. And if you create traditional models of implementing programs, which are which depend on, you know, resources and human resources going home to home, that's creating a parallel infrastructure, right, to the government of India's uh, existing health network. It is very important that, uh, you know, we use solutions that are cost effective, that are scalable, yet, you know, when the scale is achieved, impact is still maintained. You know, so uh, when the mobile phone came to India, it is very obvious that, you know, within a couple of years, it spread through the country. It is very easy to use technology that every woman had access to literally because if she didn't have a phone on her own, her family would have access to that phone. And um, it was uh, not uh, one, one more important point was that, you know, women were going to upgrade. You know, it is very obvious that the upgradation of technology also would happen because as smartphones came and became more, you know, uh, cheaper, it is obvious that within before long, it's going to spread, you know, through the country. So it became obvious to me that technology was a route to make it, you know, to create programs that achieve these goals, that they are cost effective, that they're scalable, but when you scale up, impact is still maintained. However, we don't use just technology. We use tech plus touch approach because it's not enough to, you know, use technology to call up women, right? Because you have to have, you know, a personal touch in terms of, you know, having somebody introduce a program. So we have our health workers stationed in government hospitals who introduce our programs to the women when they come for their antenatal care. We have also partnership with community-based NGO partners who, through whose health workers, uh, we actually introduce a program in the field, in the slums itself. And in rural India, we work with the government, you know, frontline health workers who are called the ASHA workers and the auxiliary nurse midwives. You have to have that, you know, uh, personal touch there. Um, uh, also, we also have a call center, right? We have a 30 member call center. The women can call back in for any query that they have. Now, when we improve the tech plus touch approach, uh, it still allows us to use less resources because the touch points, though we can reach across to women more often using technology through voice calls, or we can train the health workers, uh, you know, easily through, you know, uh, mHealth, uh, then um, uh, the number of touch, touch points are more. However, the resources required for that is less in terms of human resources, much less than traditional models. Lastly, one very important thing we realized was that you can't create a parallel network. You have to have, you have to leverage the existing health infrastructure. So we partner with governments, we partner with community NGOs, we partner with hospitals. So we partner with 97 hospitals, we partner with 40 community NGO partners and the government at large to create scalable solutions. So we don't have to build a parallel network on the ground. So we are tech plus touch, we are leveraging existing, existing technology, existing infrastructure, and lastly, we also use an evidence-based approach, right? So everything that we do is tested before it's scaled up, it's researched. Right, very interesting. Coming back again to your background, you talk a little bit about how you ended up actually becoming a social entrepreneur and what your thoughts were about dealing with this problem when you set out. Yeah, so, you know, I am a practicing uh, urogynecologist, so I never stopped my uh, medical practice. Uh, in fact, I built Arman or founded Arman during my first year of training at Stanford in the United States. And the first seven years in the US, 
I actually built Arman along the way while I was doing my fellowship in Cleveland Clinic. And I have continued that when after coming back to India. Um, so I have a parallel life. But when I was doing my residency in Mumbai, you know, I, uh, I saw closely how pervasive systemic problems led to maternal and child deaths were completely preventable. We were seeing horror stories every day. You know, and I realized, you know, that uh, if I want to impact lives, I have to go into the community to prevent those problems, right? And uh, it is very obvious early on that, you know, uh, to do that, I had to kind of, you know, uh, do it in a manner that is not being done already because traditional models are resource intensive. Traditional models depend upon, you know, uh, using health, um, you know, workers going home to home, you know, and they're so resource intensive, they don't scale up. And at that time, there are not so many scalable solutions and those scalable solutions are being created by the big multilateral agencies right so indian angels tended to be community partners of those big multilateral agencies and it was my you know intention i mean i thought why not create a homegrown ngo that creates scalable solutions that spread through the country and i had been an activist all my life uh, you know i had worked in a uh, you know uh, animal welfare organization as a volunteer i had worked in an education ngo as a volunteer before i even entered my medical training and i realized that when I was doing my, uh, you know, MBBS and my, my residency in OBGYN, I thought that, you know, why wait for anybody else to implement those, you know, solutions? And um, just after my uh, medical training, I had actually created a plan to overhaul Mumbai's public health structure, the referral system for another NGO, and learned a lot on the ground, you know. So that's when I said that, why wait for anybody else? So along with uh, doing my, you know, fellowship in the United States, I also built Arman. You know, literally burning the midnight oil. You used to get up in the morning at three. <laughs> I would get up in the morning yeah. at three, uh, work for three hours, six thirty. I would go to my, you know, fellowship for my fellowship program. Come back again, couple of hours. So build it along the way, and here we are. That's tremendous energy and, and commitment to partner. Um, fantastic. Now, can we just talk for a moment a little bit about the technology again? Um, uh, it, it can be a tricky area. Uh, uh, Technology in the in the nonprofit and social sector. Um, how did you go about thinking about this? I mean, you mentioned the importance of scalability and also working with partners. Was there a, a tendency to to think about uh, more sophisticated solutions? Um, how did you come up with the, that kind of sweet spot? Yeah, so you know, uh, at the point I built Arman in 2006, 2005 was when I was thinking about you know creating Arman. In 2008, I fi finally registered Arman. At that point in time, technology was not getting used for creating solutions. Also, uh, you know, uh, when technology started getting used, it was all about building new technology pieces, you know, new devices, right? Let us create an e-partogram, right? Or create an app or, you know, I mean, something that uh, required a new device. And, uh, you know, uh, when the, suddenly when the mobile phone came to India, and this is like, uh, when, you know, when I did my residency, mobile phone is just entering India. And within no time, it spread through the country. And I realized that if you uh, use technology, uh, yes, it helps you to create scalable, cost-effective solutions. But it has to be technology that is easily available. It can't be a new device that has to go through the country. Again, then it does not, you know, help, uh, you know, uh, scale. You, you can't scale up such a program. So a mobile phone, you know, went through the country, like, you know, there are more mobile phones in India, even now than toilets, right? So, you know, so it's easily accessible in all parts of the country. And again, as I said, mentioned earlier, it's something that, you know, uh, women are going to upgrade on their own, you know, I mean, a smart, they, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, uh, them upgrading, you don't have to upgrade your technology, uh, you know, for delivery, they are upgrading and you just keep pace with that, right? So I realized that it's easy to use technology, it's cheap, you don't have to buy phones for the women, they do it for themselves. Uh, and um, it is going to append traditional models, right? And the COVID has shown it, right? You have to build, depend on digital health. Uh, but yes, at that point in time, uh, it, in a way, I was told by most traditional practitioners that it's not going to work because why is a woman on the field going to give you her number, right? When we went to the field and wanted to have partners, because I realized that not only that you have to use technology you also build partnerships you cannot work alone you have to work through partnerships so that they become the conduits of enrolling women so when but i went to the field um, many ngos kind of were skeptic you know skeptical about whether the idea would work because you know you're talking about women who never spoke to anybody else you know when you talk about underprivileged women in an urban slum or rural india these are women who have access to maybe feature phones those not smartphones especially during those times where they had access to this one phone in the house that everybody used. Maybe they used it to call their mother or their husband. 
they had never spoken to anybody else so the idea that you know uh, you know you would create a program where you would enroll these women in the hospitals or in the slums or in the villages and then they would listen to these calls weekly uh, you know uh, somebody else is calling them you know how is it going to work right why will they give you the number well the families agree you know these are very patriarchal societies you know how are how is it going to work similar with the health workers right how is a health worker being okay be okay to how will she be okay to listening to you know or learning on the phone right because these health workers also are similar women from the field right who become health workers so are they going to access that information you know uh, training you know so a lot of these questions were being raised but you know uh, honestly when we went to the field and we started implementing these programs so on the one hand we have these voice calling services that have gone through the country um and on the other hand uh, we have these health worker training program using mobile health honestly you know the uh, the women surprise us you know they have not only taken on to the programs you know for them it's almost like they have their friend on the phone somebody like an elder sister who's calling them weekly telling them how to take care of themselves you know they actually we are we getting calls by from these women telling us you know uh, uh, uh didi uh, like they call him didi meaning elder sister must be getting tired she has to call me so many times they don't realize it's an automated voice call right and uh, also they have a call center right we have a call center they can call up and talk to so you know what has happened is that frankly these women never had access to you know uh, emotional care never had access to the answers to small small questions that afflict them as much as middle class women right even an underprivileged woman would want to know how her child is going growing inside of her sex during pregnancy family planning questions that she can't ask anybody else right so, uh, psychosocial stimulation of the child right so not just a big picture information now there is this voice call coming in and elder sister is telling her how to take care of these little little things she has a call center she can call up you know they taken up so uh, to the program so much that women actually going and buying their own phones so people were skeptical when when you had this idea so what was your response to this and how did you literally go about uh, you, you know making this happen your first steps and presumably you you also need to think about how this was being funded and was going to be funded you talk about the, the very early days oh very early days were very very difficult it took me 4 years 4 years to get the first penny into arman it was very difficult because you know i was a student i was not an established you know uh, professional i was talking about creating scalable solutions in a space populated by the big multilateral agencies uh you know so it took me uh, you know really a long while to convince people but what i did was uh, you know the proof is in the pudding right you have to actually prove your programs work so in 2011 uh, you know with great difficulty entered into a partnership with microsoft research to do a small pilot in dharavi in asia's biggest slum right so uh, you know when we did the pilot it was very obvious that women would not open smss that voice calls work sms wouldn't work uh also we realized that yes women listen to the calls so we would went with that results of the pilot to uh, the skeptical ngos showed them those results and uh, eventually we got you know um, uh, 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 funding for a randomized cluster trial that showed impact right so slowly 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 by proving impact you know we got the ngo partners to come on board same thing with hospitals right we enrolled women in the hospitals and in the slums uh with the hospital we started our, you know my alma mater has been very kind uh, you know they, they have agreed to kind of pilot, they agreed to pilot they agreed to pilot my crazy ideas so it is the first hospital where the program got implemented and it really showed impact i mean it showed impact other hospitals you know were all happy to come on board that's how you prove impact through small pilots yeah. and it spreads That's very interesting. When you went to some of the big NGOs and the multilateral agencies, did you not think, well, why? Do, if I, I I present the idea and they can do it, they've got this massive scale, they've got these networks, they've got funding, they're they've been in the area for so long. Um, do you think about that? You know, I was very focused on creating homegrown NGOs. It is very important that the solutions came from the ground up. rather than you know uh, uh, top down you know because if i had to go to an alter i mean at the same time that i was thinking of emitra mobile emitra means mobile mitra mobile friend uh, obviously there were other entities thinking of similar solutions right so there was a mobile alliance for maternal action which eventually came and funded us in india right and uh, uh, bbc was thinking of uh, you know uh, a similar program in bihar um, it is very important that a homegrown indian ngo does does it because why should it not be an indian ngo doing it correct why it has to be always the big multilateral agencies also when an indian ngo does it is far cheaper 
If you look at Indian uh, Arman solutions, they're far, far cheaper than any multilateral agency doing it. Also, we have the talent in India, right? India is not a country where uh, there's technology. India, you know, is the technology back office of the world, right? So we have the tech, tech, tech knowledge in India. We have the medical knowledge in India. So why not do it ourselves, right? So why always piggyback ride on, ride on you know, big multilateral agencies? And even for them, it's, it's easier to fund us, right? So that's what happened eventually, right? When we, uh, when Amitra was, uh, you know, uh, uh, piloted, uh, uh, the RCD funding, uh, when I started doing the randomized cluster trial, I wrote the trial, and it got funded by Diffid UK. And uh, uh, then Mobile Alliance for Maternal Action, a big multilateral, uh, you, know, uh, you know, agencies consortium, you know, it came on board and funded the scale up of Emetra, right? So they came in and funded us to scale up our program. So uh, it is always why not do it ourselves? And that's that, that's very interesting what you say. Now, also, I, I know you you wrote a piece quite recently and um, talking about uh, the again this question of technology. And I think one of the the main ideas you were presenting is that the innovation is not so much the technology, but how technology is deployed. Yes. Clearly, you've been on a journey here. You talked about uh, even at the early stage recognizing that. Uh, uh, text messages weren't going to work. Yes, it's about technology assisting a program, not tech alone, right? It's tech plus touch model. You can't have tech alone. You know, you have to have the touch point, right? But the touch point is through our health workers enrolling, uh, our hospital supervisors in the hospitals, our call center. So tech plus touch uh, model works. Tech alone will not work. That's one very important point. Second point is that you uh, use the technology to suit, suit the needs of the women on the ground, right? It's not about, you know, I have a solution that's technology-based. Now women have to change their habits to suit that, that technology. So if you look at how our programs work, right? So if you look at our voice calling services, so we have, um, you know, we have a voice call. We don't have an SMS because women uh, do not know how to open an SMS, read an SMS, uh, you know, a voice call also have that emotional connect, right? So that's, a, that's why it's a voice call. Secondly, uh, we didn't expect women to pick up the calls more than 60% of the time because, you know, there's connectivity issues, etc. So, you know, we created the voice calls in a manner, the content is created in a manner that there's redundancy, you know, uh, so that we, uh, you know, a woman will end up hearing almost all the information she needs to hear, even if she picks up 60% of the calls, right? So then we also had a time slot choice because, you know, uh, not everybody has their own phone. Right. So, uh, but the family has, so she can ensure the phone is with her. So she can give a time slot when she can ensure that phone is with her. Right. Then we also had uh, three tries for every message. In Kilkari, there are nine tries for every message. Um, uh, why do we do that? Because if she doesn't pick up one day, maybe she can have access to it the next day. Then we also have a missed call system. Why? Because if she's missed all the three tries, she can give a free missed call and the system will call her back. Right. She doesn't have to pay for that missed call. And again, a call center, because eventually you need to really speak to somebody. Right. So if you look at how we've, uh, you know, devised the program, it actually seamlessly integrates with uh, her, you know, needs and her compulsions in, uh, you know, her in her life, right? It doesn't ask her to kind of, you know, change her behavior. We are adjusting to her. That's how, you know, that's why technology, it, uh, innovation is not in technology because, you know, it's easy technology. It's not hard technology. Yes, at scale, it's hard technology. We're talking about our voice platform. We're talking about, you know, millions and billions being served. Of course, you know, this is new territory. Uh, but having said that, at the end of the day, um, it's technology that people can build. But all of these, you know, uh, methods in which we employ to reach the women is where the innovation is. That's very interesting. What about your own developing your own platform and uh, as an organization using technology within your organization? We have done that. If you look at Mithna platform, it's our own. So we, if we have our own tech team. And along with that tech, we also have a few vendors, right, who we work with in collaboration. So if you look at the Mithra platform, it's our own. If you look at, you know, uh, uh, and so we've done that. So what we do is, you know, uh, where we need to kind of, you know, um, we don't like to reinvent the wheel. It's already existing. Uh, free, uh, you know, we will use that. But uh, certain places we find when we create our own platform, because when we created MBJ, there's nothing existing there. So we had to create our own platform and it was cheaper to do it that way. Right, right. But what have been the biggest challenges, would you say? Are there one or two other big challenges that you've had to face? Absolutely. I mean, firstly, building an organization. I mean, I need to start from the very beginning. You know, I'm a doctor. You know, I don't get I didn't get trained in how to build an organization. Right. And also, you know, uh, there's no link between in India, at least there's no link between clinical medicine and public health. 
so actually how do you even build an organization how do you even farm registration to actually getting funding you know and uh, uh, convincing people so it is a very hard journey i learned along the way so every point was a problem right and fundraising was a huge challenge right because uh, those times we really didn't at uh, 2006 2008 there were really no you know big csr funds available nor were there organizations that you know helped you raise funds so it was very hard four years it took me to get the first funding and fundraising obviously remains challenge for any ngo along the way now we are in a better situation uh, much better in uh, armana has you know scaled up so much that there are donors who are happy to come along on the ride but it's always a challenge right so then also Uh, technology right so you know i come from a medical world no tech experience obviously finding the te- right tech partners finding uh, technology you know uh, you know uh, train people to join the organization because tech people wouldn't want to join an ngo obviously they want to join a tech company how to build that team inside how to keep pace with technology changes right because if you realize uh, technology you know changes so fast and that you don't want to get outdated right you don't want to be you know uh, in the past right so you your beneficiaries have moved ahead and you still stuck in the past you don't want that to happen these are some some of the challenges that we are facing also obviously you know a talent right so you want to you know you're building an organization that that is innovative right because uh, in this space we have uh been the ones you know working innovatively so to kind of get the right talent that appreciates that comes on board and learns uh, you know newer ways of doing things and not traditional models uh, obviously is always a challenge yes yes you you mentioned building an organization i mean as you said uh, your background's medical background but you weren't trained in, in you know in, in business or organization what kind of support have you had on your journey as a social entrepreneur so initially it was very difficult because as i said i didn't come from public health nor social work so i didn't have the networks initially right i came i was a doctor and i was a student at that right now i mean if i had founded arman now at least i would have access to networks at least because i'm already an established doctor but as a student uh, you know i didn't have access to that so it was very difficult so initially support came from few you know friends actually you know in terms of you know um uh, many people signed up as trustees uh, at least there was this moral support right and when i was in stanford i built arman usa and i'm very thankful to those you know stanford students so many of them came on board uh, you know from india indian students in the us and some americans came and joined arman arman usa team uh, you know obviously they didn't know anything much about this space but i think uh, you know uh, they trusted me and believed in me and they came on board so initially and having those people coming on board yes of course it didn't give me access to funds but it is a moral support that yes people are supporting you right so uh, and then uh, slowly 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 obviously started entering competitions here and there obviously it took a long while before it came to a point where uh, you know uh, at saving lives at birth event uh, you know we were noticed in 2011 uh, um, and um, eventually we have organization like dasra Uh, which have come on board dasra is like the you know they are the organizations who kind of helped uh, capacity building up you know ngos working in the field so they came on board to help us and some of our donors i'll talk about it later on really helped us grow because they saw believed in us and eventually after four years when the support came in a uh, funding support came in those are the you know entities that really helped us yes were there any moments where you thought this is too much i can't do this uh you know i uh, no because um, you know I'm called a social entrepreneur now. I didn't set out saying, "Oh, I have to become a social entrepreneur." It is a problem I wanted to solve. So if you keep your, you know, uh, focus on the problem, um, and you keep thinking that everything I do now can make the life of a woman or child better, eventually, you know, your your problem don't seem big, right? So at no point did I ever feel, "Oh my God, look, I'm facing so many issues." You know, I mean, uh, you have to really believe in the solution. You have to believe in yourself. You know, I mean, four years of not having access to a single penny. is not really an easy ride but uh, and also doing it along with my fellowship right i had a very exhaustive fellowship in cleveland clinic that i was doing i mean morning 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 6 o'clock evening 7 to 8 i was in the hospital working and then coming back home and burning the midnight oil so it wasn't an easy ride but i think when you know that this has to be done uh, it has to be done and i think what i managed to do was that i had a vision but then you know you have to be able to break the vision down into simple steps because you know there are so many steps to that vision you know the the day to day working of it is not easy and not even interesting sometimes but you have to do it and so I, I, you know i think um, that perseverance has to be there and that perseverance came from the passion and the fact that eventually hopefully this will help somebody 
Can you maybe talk about uh, your approach to partnering? What have you learned about partnering and any observations about what it's like to partner with the Indian government? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are two points to scale. One is technology. Another is partnerships. You can't achieve scale unless you have partners who come on the ride with you. There is no way. I realized early on that you cannot create a uh, you know, parallel infrastructure. Because if you look at traditional models, uh, it depends upon creating health workers, right? So you go into a particular area and you kind of create your own cadre of health workers who go home to home and to give services. But that never scales up. And it is very obvious to me that already in the field, there are so many wonderful NGOs working for 30, 40 years doing phenomenal work. But because they are resource intensive models, they can't scale up. And it is very obvious that uh, if I partnered with them, you know, we can actually not only uh, scale up the program, programs very well, but also help them scale up their programs. I'll give an example, right? So in, if you look at in Mumbai slums, there's Mankut slum or there's Dharabid, some of the biggest slums in Asia, right? So there are, there's a wonderful organization called Apnale, which is working in, in, uh, in uh, Mankut. And obviously because of scale up problems, they were covering, you know, maybe one third half of uh, Apna, you know, Mankut. But when we partnered with them, with Mitra, they could spread to other parts of Mankur, right? Because uh, when you use Mitra uh, or voice calling service to give information to women, it takes over the voice uh, counseling task of the health workers. So the health workers could prioritize to other work, right? Because counseling was taken over by Mitra. So we could complement the work of the partner NGO. So this has happened, you know, in multiple cases, right? Where the partner NGOs feel that Mitra is taking on uh, a big chunk of the difficult work that they're doing of going home to home and raising awareness. So they could focus on other aspects of the you know maternal child health give, caregiving in the field. So uh, what I realized about partnership is that it can't be it has to be a true partnership. It can't be a hierarchical partnership, right? You have to value your partner. Uh, you have to complement their work. They have to see value in the program that you are uh, you know coming to them with. That it will help them in their own work. And then they ensure that, you know, then the partnership stays for long. So we've literally, some of the partners we've had for seven years now, and it's wonderful, the partnership, right? Uh, secondly, it's same thing with hospitals. So we enroll women in mobile mitra in the slums through NGOs and hospitals, right? Because women come to the hospital for care. Now, uh, again, in the hospitals, uh, you know, they, they, they really support them. Why? Because, they, you know, uh, when Mitra has taken over their counseling services, they can focus on caregiving, right? So, and the hospital is so happy with the work that actually our health workers who are stationed in the hospitals have their own room to enroll women. They've actually integrated in the system of the hospital. So it's, you know, so uh, this has happened over so many, you know, um, uh, over 90 hospitals over the last four or five years. And it's the partnership still continue. Why? Because they see value in it. So partnership uh, depend on uh, value addition. It depends upon complementary work. It depends upon re respecting them as equals and not as, you know, a hierarchical sub-grantees. You know, that's how it all works. Presumably, as you, you build a reputation, as you've proven yourself, as you've got scale and, and, and impact, it's easier to build partnerships. How was it at the beginning? Was it, is, it, is it challenging? Was it challenging? Absolutely. As I told you, then there was a lot of skepticism whether the you know uh, program would even work. But I have to thank many of the you know uh, you know uh, initial partners who came on board. Uh, that they really you know and of course you know and I must tell you this right you know we were the new kids on the block when we went to the people uh, for uh, NGOs already existing for partnership. Some of them are existing the last 30, 20 years, right? And so you know I must thank them that they saw value in what you know we had gone to them with because we were just two three people in the organization then right to go and say that we want to do this program we want to you know create scale uh, you know it must have sound foolish right but some of them believed in us but yes you know we had to prove ourselves at every point right and also when the uh, when the uh, you know uh, the ngo partners have their health workers on the ground who we incentivize we would financially incentivize them to enroll women into the program Mitra program, the voice calling service. Uh, so when the health workers would go home to home, initially they face resistance, right? Because suddenly when you go to a woman saying, oh, there's a voice calling service, we're going to send you information on the phone weekly. And these are women who've never talked to anybody else on the phone except their husbands or their mothers-in-law. Of course, they're not going to listen to you, right? So even the initial, uh, you know, uh, acceptance from the beneficiaries uh, was very difficult. So the NGO partners had to believe in us that this would actually take off. Can you talk now about Kilkari, the, the, the partnership with the Indian government? How did that come yeah. about? And, and maybe, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I know you've grown, but uh, still partnering with the Indian government is quite something. 
Yeah, so I tell you, Kilkari came to us because we did Emitra very well. Emitra is a flagship program, the first voice calling service that we started off with. Uh, and just to tell you what it is, is twice a week in pregnancy and twice a week in infancy, literally, we send voice calls uh, in the chosen time slot and language. Uh, and uh, we have three tries for every message. We have a missed call system and we have a call center, right? And, you know, Emitra got uh, spread across the country, right? Nine states, uh, 2.3 million women. You know, because I told you that the way we employed the technology was suited to how the women, you know, uh, accept it um, or what they need in the ground. And so it spread across. And the government of India noticed the success. And, uh, you know, they had a program, similar program called Kilkari. Kilkari uh, uh, is in 13 states. And Kilkari is similar, but has, the number of voice calls are lesser than Mitra, 73 voice calls, uh, and one once a week. And they needed new partners and they needed to come to uh, need a partner who knew how to implement such programs. And seeing the success of Emitra, they came to us and said, why don't you take on Kilkari? And, uh, you know, very early on, I, I told you the pillars of scale are one is technology, second is partnership, third is government. You can't scale through the country unless you work with the government health system. You know, you, you know, Emitra is funded through donors, right? Everything end to end. Yes, it's very cost effective. It is so cheap that... Uh, in less than five dollars, a woman can get Emitra for two years of her life. But imagine when you partner with government, when government takes over the voice calling costs, government takes over the enrollment of women because the enrollment is happening through the frontline health workers of the government of India in each village of the country. You know, it's less than 50 cents for us, per cost, uh, our cost of it per woman, uh, 25 cents maybe. Why? Because of the fact that uh, it's 24 rupees, you know, so it's uh, yeah, 72 rupees is one dollar, right? So it's less than uh, 50 cents. So it is, you know, the best thing to do to if you really want to scale up. But yes, um, government partnerships come with their own difficulties because, you know, it's very hard anywhere in the world to work with any kind of bureaucracy. But I must tell you this, there are wonderful people sitting in the bureaucracy there. Uh, who uh, want the best things to happen, right? So, but of course, uh, systems are so difficult even for them, right? To, you know, scale up a program like this. So if you really work hard, like I, I realized, we realized after working with the government that the principles we adopted for working with hospitals and working with NGO partners work with government also. You really have to respect them. You have to really push it. Of course, you can't sit on a high horse and expect them to come to you. You really have to push it if you want some uh, program in, because we took on Kilkari and Mobile Academy, our program to, you know, augment them also, right? Improve them, uh, you know, uh, 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 and spread, spread through the country. So you have to go to the government. You have to work with them. You have to run behind ensuring that the permissions come in. But if you're ready to really do that, you know, uh, you know, persevere and do that, uh, do all that is required to make it work. The government see that, right? The partnership is going very well. Yes, but very, very interesting. Very interesting. Finally, a uh, big topic I've uh, touched on a little bit, the whole question of fundraising. You mentioned clearly the beginning. Yes. Very challenging at the very beginning when you're making the case. So once you started to get, get a little bit of funding, how did that go? And, and who is funding you primarily? And what have you learned about the fundraising process? Absolutely. So uh, what did I learn about fundraising process came from, you know, really the partnerships that grew along the way with funders. Right. Yes. First four years, absolutely no funding. In fact, the first funding that came in, came in through social media. I did a Facebook campaign. I got my first $10,000 and I got $4,000 uh, 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 around from, you know, uh, 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 a small, you know, home uh, NGO in the United States called Indians for Collective Action, you know, Bay Area, you know, Indians. But, uh, but after four years, uh, Defeat UK had this whole grant that they came off it, came out with. Uh, which is which was global poverty action fund and uh, you know we won that grant you know this is one of the eight that's the first funding we got in for implementing right but before that six months before and this is in 2013 but before that in 2011 uh, we had come to the final round of the saving lives at birth event saving lives at birth was this huge uh, consortium of global donors who came together to kind of you know have a competition and we came to the final round and there uh, you know, uh, we won the People's Choice Award. We didn't, we didn't win the, you know, grant, but we won the People's Choice Award. And I got to speak in front of a very august audience after four years of really running and knocking on all doors. And in the audience was, uh, you know, um, I must take this name, somebody called Alice Fabiano. You know, she was really, you know, one of the initial supporters of Arman when we were just three people, you know, which is just a prototype. Right? She uh, was uh, J&J Global Contributions. J&J has this uh, global, global contribution, which is apart from the corporate uh, structure. It is basically a you know, uh, foundation that helps 
scale you know scale programs uh, through the world right so they were in the uh, and she was in the audience and she heard me and jnj global uh, contribution is a part of mama there was an entity called mama earlier mobile alliance for maternal action consortium of un foundation jnj us aid uh, uh, baby center and m health alliance so they had a consortium they had funded a program similar to this in uh, south africa which is a uh, sms based program actually and then they came to bangladesh and they were going to come to india and uh, you know i must say that you know when they came, uh, when they came to india she heard me she remembered having heard me on stage and uh, though we were so small and we were just beginning to implement this rct randomized trusted trial in rural maharashtra with different funding different funding and also we were doing a small program in my own alma mater with uh, funding from a csr uh, corporate social responsibility support from a company called glenmark uh, and i really thank glenmark here you know uh, for having seen you know how you know the pioneering this program was they came in to fund a small pilot in my uh, alma mater and then when they came to india mama came to india mobile alliance for maternal action they actually funded the scale up right so emita really grew up grew through the country nine states with mama support and then going forward you know i must take the name of tara trust tara trust came in to support our other programs uh, so jnj tara trust mama uh, and then slowly 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 we started getting in social corporate social responsibility support right so different companies came on board to support us right but uh, uh, 2019 things changed right so i'm very happy to say that we uh through a very rigorous process we won the school award so 2020 school award we won it is a whole one years process and we are the only ngo from asia or africa to have won school award this year right so when we won the school award and school is a very prestigious uh, you know entity and uh, we got exposure so you know then you know uh, uh, lgt is another uh, donor from switzerland and then ripple works from united states all have come on board and are supporting us now so now we are in a place where you know people are realizing that you know um, this kind of uh, work needs to be supported that technology enabled solutions are the way to forward given covid so right now our funding you know stream is far easier yeah. and the lessons i learned was i must tell you is that you know what i learned uh, along the way is absolute transparency never hide your problems treat your donors as partners you know uh, so we hide nothing from anybody because you know at the end of the day either the woman who's going to you know if you hide problems if you do not you know talk it out you know openly what's happening you know at the end of the day who's going to suffer is a woman on the ground you know so we are we we always uh, you know are completely transparent uh, we ensure that we you know hire the right talent and support them to flourish uh, and we have systems in place because if you don't have systems in place donors do not have the uh, you know confidence in you so we really have worked hard on building systems in place in the organization and hire the right talent to manage Uh, and so capacity building has been a very big initiative for us so that you know donors have the you know confidence in us and they will come and you know support you fascinating fascinating what advice do you have for other social entrepreneurs on their journey upon it yes you know never give up persevere and i mean four years and the first four years you know i didn't even know if arman is going to happen you know we you know it, it was but you keep at it keep at it keep at it you know uh, uh, you uh, you know Uh, like uh, Steve Jobs, uh, you know that that speech he gave that connects the dots. You know, eventually everything connects, right? And my whole uh, life story of building Arman is testament to that, right? If you persevere, you never give up. You know, it happens. But also have a vision. If you look look at Arman's, um, you know, we didn't the vision didn't develop along the way. You know, Arman's vision vision of using technology of having text plus touch, uh, using existing networks. you know scale solutions cost effective solutions were already in place before the first program got implemented we designed solutions like that so you have your vision in place you know you can't discover vision after you start an ngo you should know what you're going to do but also you should be have the ability to break it down into pieces you have to work out the details right you you know you need to know you know the next step the next step the next step towards the entire whole right collaborate hire the right talent you know you really need to do that because you know i am very worried about founder syndrome yes i put my heart and soul i don't earn from arman i put a literally till 4 years ago 5 years ago everything i want went into arman because how do you fund you know even a prototype right so uh, you know uh, so you really put your heart and soul into it but at the right time you have to hire the right talent right because i am a full time doctor i spend a lot of time on arman but you obviously have to have professional leadership so you know you need to be able to hire the right talent give them that you know support 
and empower them you know so you really have to invest in team building and then the team has to come on and really believe in the you know um, uh, in their vision right and that will happen only if you give them ownership so you have to let go so you need to you know you you, you literally have to you give birth to a child and the child grows to teenage years and then you have to let go you know and you need to know when to come in and you know so i am very involved with arman but arman and the thing about arman is that you know you know and, and that happens with every ngo right every organization is that when you grow you have so many other talents you need right get those talents in and give uh, them that power that's that's that's, that's fantastic advice uh, and 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 hard one over the years what's next for arman yes uh, so i must tell you that as i told you on the one side we have these voice calling services and on the other hand we have so uh, along with kilkari we have got a partnership with government of india to implement mobile academy mobile academy is a mobile health based uh, a training program for frontline health workers you know it's a it's right now like a voice calling service women call in and uh, 11 chapters four hours of content and bookmarking system they can log in and log off so you know uh, both our kilkari and emmitter on one hand and our uh, m health uh, based teaching program for you know uh, frontline health workers are currently voice based services so going forward one very important thing we want to do is in addition to scale right both kilkari and mobile academy will scale through the country right our goal is by 2025 to reach across to 45 million women and their children and train 1 million health workers right uh, so kilkari and mobile academy will scale across the country but enmitra will become the sandbox for the same right so enmitra uh, uh, will take innovations that will get scaled through the country through kilkari and mobile academy that's our whole hope uh, and uh, what we want to do on the voice calling services side is to build a pyramidal structure so enmitra and kilkari for everybody <coughs> but you know women with high risk factors children with high risk factors so we have a for example we have a malnutrition program right so you know we send voice calls to every pregnant woman mother with child but if a child develops morbid acute malnutrition we have more hand holding for their mothers to prevent them from getting severe acute malnutrition so we want to go into this creating more focused programs for high risk factors and uh, using two way communication using whatsapp using a thin app you know that doesn't take much data right so have more focused programs uh, 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 focus on these high risk factors so that we you know all women are served and all children are served uh, in um, um, according to the needs of those women and children so on the one hand is that of course keep pace with technology changes we are already doing a whatsapp pilot so on the one hand that is the, uh, uh, improving the technology that we are using and doing two way communication on the one other hand of for health worker training because almost 30 to 40% of frontline health workers now have access to smartphones we are going to go into you know more multimedia training approaches training through whatsapp hand holding through whatsapp call center services so uh, uh, so that you know uh, we will uh, we can have more hand holding uh, they can uh, learn through videos that they send them or is uh, you know coded into the thin app in their uh, on their phone right and we have remote training that we can do right and we can also have call center services and whatsapp services to hand hold and they can call back in for any query or they can messages for any query so having more two way communication with the women on one side and the health workers on the other side is our major goal lastly imagine the kind of data that we deal with right kilkari and mobile academy are the largest such programs in the world talking about every woman and every child uh, uh, in the country whom we want to serve right so literally 30 million uh, uh, million women are deliver every uh, year in the country we are hoping that we will reach at least 15 million per year by in five next five years right per year 15 million we want to serve imagine the kind of data right uh, so uh, we want to do predictive analytics to be able to uh, create targeted solutions right both for uh, voice calling service like mit kilkari and for our uh, you know health worker training programs and and towards that we've already entered into into a partnership with harvard and google right so we have a partnership with google right now where we use artificial intelligence to analyze our data and to create predictive models so we already done that uh, with listenership so when you know, when we send voice calls uh, you know some women do not uh, you know listen to the calls right so there are these low listeners women who may drop out how to predict which woman will drop out so that we can ensure that we can get her back into the system right or we can have other uh, uh, programs to deliver role. care to them so we actually thank you so much thank you so much for that for having me here uh, we uh, we can predict uh, uh, based on two months of listening who is going to drop off 
and then we are actually calling them up to ensure that they know of the service and they remain committed to the program right so, so we are going to use uh, artificial intelligence for all such you know all our or i am predicting analytics for all our programs to be able to create targeted programming eventually you know what we are dreaming is that you know we uh, kilkari and mobile academy and also we want to go into the auxiliary nurse midwife right the nurses need to be a trained and the medical officers need to get trained so you know uh, we are going to go into that too so eventually all of that will become you know one platform so on the one hand we have kilkari and the other hand we have the health worker training program imagine they integrated so imagine a situation where uh, you know in a part of the country where malaria is a huge issue on the on one hand we can create targeted programming to uh, you know inform women there about malaria more or we can uh, on the other hand on the health worker training side we can train the health workers there more on how to take care of malaria so we can create a targeted programming is our goal well, it's a, a tr tremendous vision a uh, uh, vast scale and uh, activity and uh, i wish you the very best of success with all of that aparna and uh, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about your work for your uh, your sacrifice over the years, your commitment and uh, passion. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.